A parable this morning is one of the more famous parables of Jesus. Now, there are very many, like there's a lot of different versions of it. And, and that kind of, like they help us understand it in, in more modern day terms. There's a book written about it by Tim Keller titled Prodigal, Prodigal God. Man, I'm just stumbling this morning. Prodigal God that was very popular and, and for good reason. And I would encourage each of you to work your way through that book at some point. But today we look at the parable of the prodigal son. This is one of the more scandalous stories that Jesus tells. And as we journey through this narrative, may you be convicted of your self-righteousness and may you be overcome by the incredible grace of God. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. We read the word of the Lord. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, Give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called out one of the servants and and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf. Because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. God, we pray this in your name. Amen. 
So before we get into the story of the prodigal son, it's important to understand the context into which the story is told. At the beginning of the chapter, chapter 15, the very beginning, we read that the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. They were were crowding around him. They were trying to get closer to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled and said, This man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, we have have two groups of people. On the one hand, we have the sinners and the outcasts, the addicts, the prostitutes, the tax collectors like we talked about last week. Those who are morally unfit for religion. And they are crowding around Jesus, drinking in every word. And on the other hand, we have the Pharisees and the scribes. Those who are self-righteous, who believe that they have it all together, they are morally sound, they do not give in to the desires of the flesh, and they believe that because of that fact, or at least the outward public appearance of it, they are morally superior. They are better people than our first group. And this group looks at Jesus and says, how can this man hang out with the deplorables? Look at who he surrounds himself with. How can he consider himself a moral man, a moral teacher, when this is the company that he's keeping? And it is into this context that Jesus gives us the parable in our text this morning. He tells a a few other parables first, but he makes his way to this one. And so we have the father... And the two sons. And the younger son decides that he's, he's tired of living in the family. Like he's just, he's over it. He's tired of responsibility. He feels like he is wasting his life being cooped up in his father's house. And so he goes to his dad and he asks for his portion of his inheritance. Now in our society today, that would be frowned upon. Like that's, that's not a good look. But according to the society of the New Testament... This would be one of the most insulting things that a son could do. Essentially, he's asking his father to die. He's saying, Dad, I wish that you were no longer alive. I want what I will get from you when you are dead, and I want it now so that I might live the life that I want to live, so that I can enjoy it, so that I can do what I want to do. I'm young. I don't want to waste my life living around here with you. And your rules and the obligations. I want to experience all that life has to offer. Give me my portion of your estate, my portion of my inheritance now. Give me what I will get when you are dead. And what's amazing is that the father does it. He actually does it. We read that he divides his property between his two sons. In the Greek, the word that is translated property also means life. The father is essentially dividing his life between his sons. The younger son takes his portion of the estate and leaves for a faraway country. He doesn't doesn't want to be near his father. He, He goes. And there he lives what our text refers to today as a reckless life. He rents a huge house right on the ocean. He throws parties that are as extravagant as they are immoral. 
He smokes the most potent weed, beds the prettiest women, drinks the finest champagne, and seeks the most earthly of pleasures. Now, though his dad was rich, it doesn't take an overly long time before he is blown through his inheritance. He squandered, wasted what his father has given him, and in order to meet his physical needs, that of food and of shelter, he has to hire himself out to be a, or to a pig farmer. And he doesn't get paid very well. And so he begins to envy the pigs, the slop that they are being fed. Can you imagine that? Like, that's disgusting, but he reaches a point in his life where he wishes he was eating what the pigs are eating. And this is a particular kind of irony because this young man is Jewish. And so he's not allowed to eat pork. So this young man is envious of an animal he considers to be unclean, wishing that he could eat the food that is provided to an animal that he isn't even allowed to eat. And as he's sitting there, he realizes that the servants at his father's house are living better, eating better than he is. So he decides to go back to the house that he left. He decides to tell his father this line. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he decides to, to make his way home. So he's heading home and he's just repeating this line over and over to himself, preparing himself to meet his father. We can just get that picture, right? This guy just like trudging home. Okay, I just got to remember this line. And if I can give this line to my father the right way, if I can say this the right way, maybe he'll take me back into his house and then I don't got to starve anymore. Then I don't got to be envious of unclean animals anymore. The father, meanwhile, has not forgotten his son. Though his son asked the father to die so that he could have his inheritance, the father still loves him. Though he was shamed by the request, the father still cares for his child. Though the son should have known better, right? Like this wasn't how the father raised him. The father still adores and longs for the company of his son. And so as he goes about his days, his eyes are ever on the horizon, watching, waiting, hoping for the return of the prodigal son. And then one day, there he is. The father sees his son walking towards home. And the father hikes up his robes and runs to meet him. Now, this is, this is slightly outrageous in and of itself. Dignified elderly men don't hike up their robes. And dignified elderly men, they certainly do not run. They move with purpose, surely, but they never run. And here, the father cares not what high society or any society, for that matter, thinks. His son is coming home. He is overwhelmed with joy and he runs to meet him. And as the father is gathering the prodigal in his arms, the son manages to get out most of his rehearsed lines and he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I've gone too far. 
says the son. I've done things that are, that are way too embarrassing for a member of this family to have done. I've, I've gone too far. I've seen too much. The desires that the well within me, they're despicable and I'm familiar with them and I embrace them. I'm not worthy. I've gone too far. My shame, my shame is too great. How many of us can relate to the prodigal son? How many times have I said, God, I'm, <laughs> I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of being called your son. I'm not worthy of being a pastor. <laughs> why, would anybody, why would anybody need to listen to what I have to say? I'm not the ambassador of Christianity that you need, that you're looking for. Look how I've screwed up. Look at these many mistakes. Look at the immoral desires of my heart. How can you want me as a member of your family? I am so shameful. How can you love me? I'm not worthy. Can any of you relate? There are times when the sin that we have been trying to hide, the sin that we are ashamed from, the actions that we have taken, the thoughts that we have had, the desires that we've, we've tried to ignore or pretend don't exist, they're put right in front of our faces. And we wonder, how in the world can God forgive this? Why in the world does God want me to be part of his family? How could God ever love me? Look at what I have squandered. I knew it was right. I knew what I was supposed to do, and I just decided not to do it. I failed. I shamed myself, and what's more, I shamed and I embarrassed my father. And how does the father respond? The father responds with scandalous grace. First, as we just talked about, he hikes up his robes and he runs to his son. And this, this draws the eyes of like everybody, right? Everybody is watching this. And he's drawing the eyes of the spectators away from the shame of the returning son and puts it squarely on the old man and that old man leg that are easily seen by all running, making its way, booking down the long driveway to greet the sun. He creates such a spectacle that people are drawn to him. And they forget that the son is actually the shameful one in this reunion. And the father takes all of the shameful attention for himself. And then once he has gathered this prodigal son in his arms and the son makes his confession, how does the father respond? He turns to his servants and he says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and bring the ring and put it on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat. And celebrate. We're partying, man. Tonight we're hanging out. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Clothe him 
with the best clothes we have. Bring him a ring so that people will know that he is part of this family, that he is all the authority that is granted someone in this family, and bring the fatted calf. The calf that we set aside for the best of days, the greatest of celebrations. Kill it, and tonight we feast. We celebrate the return of my son. Each of us can relate to this son because each of us is a sinner. Each of us is broken in our sin. And each of us, through our sinful tendencies, have abandoned God a thousand times. And yet the message to those of us who have run away, run off to a faraway country is this. You are always welcome home. You are always welcome home. And here's why. Because just as the Father divided his property, his life, so Jesus has divided his life, his everything, for you. He gave it for you on the cross, even when you would squander it away. Because of this sacrifice, this absorption of sin, he has covered your nakedness, your sin, before God with the best robe. As we read earlier in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, we read, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ has put on Christ, have been clothed in Christ. The best robe that the Father has, His Son, you have put on Jesus. And that covers us. It covers our sin. When God sees us, He sees that robe that the Father puts on us. He sees His Son. He sees Jesus. And in Jesus, you have been given the signet ring. When you wear this ring, it says that you are part of the family. And more than that, you have the ability to sign in the Father's name again. It is a symbol of being a son of being an heir. Scandalous grace. Grace that is unearned and is absolutely ridiculous to imagine poured out on the prodigal son, poured out on you, on me. The father forgives his son. His son didn't earn it. His son didn't deserve it, but he was forgiven. And it is the same for us. We are not Forgiven because we make ourselves forgivable. We are forgiven because there is a forgiver. And he has chosen to forgive us. How amazing is that? How wonderful and fantastic is that forgiveness is not withheld from you until you prove your worth. It's not kept just out of reach until you have promised not to need it again. It's given freely again and again and again. And it's something we need to hear again and again and again. Because we keep messing up. We keep making mistakes, keep doing things we don't want to do. So let this be clear, friends, church. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. 
And then we have the wonderful lines from the father. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. The Bible tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but that we are made alive again through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus continually refers to the sinners as the lost. The lost that he is there to find, to redeem, to bring back into the family. On our own, we are dead, but because of Jesus, he has given to us life. His life has been given to us, and we are alive. And man, it feels like the story should end there, right? Like it feels like that should be the end, the celebration, the lost son, the dead son, returned, restored. This is the happy ending, but it's not the end of the story. There's another character involved. And this character is not pleased with how the story went. The last character of the parable is the older brother. The brother who stayed home. The brother who lived the life that he was supposed to live, that he was expected to live. He didn't waste his father's life on wild and immoral living. He didn't squander what had been given to him. He was dutiful. He was reserved. He didn't bring shame to his house. He was the picture of a well-behaved, well-mannered heir. And when he sees the partying that's going on in the house, when he sees what's happening, he asks, what is going on here? And when he learns that his shameful younger brother has returned and that instead of the whipping and the embarrassment that he deserves, that a party is being thrown, and that the fatted calf has been killed, the calf that he was hoping you know, would be sacrificed in his honor someday, all for the sake of his degenerate little brother, he is angry. He is angry. And we get it. Like, we understand that, right? We get it. And he goes to the father. And the father invites him to come into the house. He says, come in. Come, come join the, fa- the, the party. But the older brother says, what are you doing, old man? What are you doing? How could you do this? All these years, I've been the good son. I've done what you asked. I have not disobeyed you. I have not brought you shame. I have not squandered. I have not wasted what you have given to me. And you haven't even given me a goat that I could go party with my friends. And yet, and yet, you kill the fatted calf for this embarrassment of a son? What are you doing, old man? How dare you? The older brother is outraged at the scandal of grace. He is outraged at the scandal of grace. He is outraged that the father would not only forgive, but celebrate someone who has done so much harm to the name of the family. That he would welcome in this man who destroyed the family name, who ran it through the mud, who is legally dead to him. How could you do this? How could you forgive this much? How could you be okay with this person being brought back into the family, with this person being made a son again? How could you do this? How 
could you celebrate this? The older brother is angered by the scandalous grace of God. Have you ever been the older brother? Angered, frustrated, confused even as to how God dispenses his grace and mercy on those who just clearly do not deserve it. So which brother are you? Are you the younger brother? The prodigal who has run from the father and then been overwhelmed by the undeserving grace that the father has poured out on you? Are you the older brother? Angered at the grace that has been poured out on those you just don't see as deserving. You just don't get it. At different times in our lives, we take turns being both brothers. Sometimes in awe of the grace that is poured out on us and sometimes frustrated by the grace that is poured out on others. And both brothers are lost in their own ways. Yes, even the older brother. Because as my good friend Eric Sorensen so ably puts it in his chapter on this parable, he says, part of what it means to be lost is to want the father's things, but not the father himself. Part of what it means to be lost is to want the father's things, but not the father himself. The younger brother wanted the inheritance. He wished his father dead so that he could have his inheritance. He wasn't concerned with the father. He just wanted what he would get. And likewise, the older brother wasn't particularly caring of his father either. He was just dutifully doing what he was supposed to do so that he could earn the inheritance that was coming to him. Both brothers were after the same thing. The father's possessions. They both wanted grace and peace. They both wanted authority. They both wanted riches. They both wanted heaven. They just went about it in entirely different ways. Again, part of what it means to be lost is to want the Father's things, but not the Father himself. Jesus is surrounded by the tax collectors and sinners, by the prodigal children as he tells this parable, and he is also surrounded by the scribes and the Pharisees, the older brothers. And as we see in this parable, the father invites both of his children into the house, into the party. Both children, the older and the younger, get an invite. Come, join me. The younger brother enters. The older brother? Well, we don't know what happens to the older brother in this story. But we know the actions of the older brother in the life of Jesus in the story of Christ. The older brother has the father beaten, whipped, and crucified on a cross. You guys, the brothers war within us. Our sinful actions pointing out the reality that we are the younger brother, the prodigal son, in need of grace and forgiveness that is readily and happily given to us in Christ. 
and our sinful pride, scoffing and angered when we see this grace poured out in abundance on those who we consider undeserving. And to both brothers, God says, Come. Come. Repent of your righteousness, self-righteousness. And repent of your unrighteousness. And enjoy the feast. Be overwhelmed by my grace and my love poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. What a wonderful, amazing, and gracious God we serve. Amen.